Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Welcome Facebook users, this is Andrea Millers and welcome to our TIFF talk with uh, I have the great honor to have Dr. Peter Janu here today. Uh, he is from Ascension Calumet, Calumet. Calumet, let's make sure I say it right. He's a general surgeon here at Ascension Calumet Medical Center. Uh, he practices in Appleton and also Chilton, Wisconsin. So thank you very much for being thank here you. today. He's actually been in practice or here since 1999, is that correct? That's correct, 20 years. Perfect, and how long have you been doing the TIF procedure? Our first patient was in April of 2010. Wow, okay, so since 2010. Uh, we also have the great pleasure today to have two of his patients. We have Adele, welcome Adele, thank you for thank being you. here. Yes. And Gib, welcome, thank you for being here as well. Very excited. So we're gonna go ahead and start and kind of kind of dig into um, what is GERD or acid reflux. So I'll kind of let you start, Dr. Janu, and discuss, sure. you know, what is um, the clinical um, def definition of GERD um, and acid reflux? Sure, so the, the simplest way to understand that is uh, that GERD is reflective of the content of your stomach going the wrong direction. Uh, everybody knows that the stomach has acid in it but it's supposed to stay within the stomach and go downstream as you digest. And if it's going the wrong direction, it can cause problems. Sure. People can get heartburn symptoms, people can feel regurgitation, sometimes people get a cough, sore throat, hoarseness, all sorts of different things because the body doesn't necessarily like the content going the wrong direction. And, and the typical rule of thumb for people is to try to take some type of medicine to cut away the acid in the stomach. The problem with that is that it just takes away the acid. It doesn't stop the content from going the wrong direction. Sure. So, so a lot of people are just bothered by the fact that things just aren't working going the wrong direction and that's where we come in. Okay. What types of symptoms would most patients start feeling if they have GERD or acid reflux? The classic symptoms are what you would expect. The reason why they call it heartburn is because the acid going the wrong direction gives you a burning sensation. But there's things like regurgitation, sometimes chest pain, um, the feeling that things are going the wrong direction, that taste of acid in the back of your throat. But then there's some of these atypical or non-classic symptoms where people get the, the sore throat, hoarseness, coughing, trouble swallowing, um, those kind of issues. And those are the typical symptoms that aren't necessarily as well treated just on medications alone. Okay, so let's, you were talking about coughing, and I think I understand Adele and both you, give had some issues with coughing. Tell us a little bit more about your story and what were you feeling when you, um, you know, realized that you had acid reflux or GERD symptoms? 
Right. I had started out a number of years ago. I am an asthmatic, and so I thought it was my asthma all the while. I was treated for that, and yet I still would be coughing, in particular after meals, and in particular the breakfast meal. I would cough and cough, and I thought, what is going on? So then I went to my family doctor, and she suggested I see Dr. Janu, which he then um, gave me some um, medication, which really didn't touch the issue at all. So then he, he also suggested I take a bronchoscopy, okay. which he did, and then they discovered, yes, I certainly have the problem. Okay. And when um, were you diagnosed with um, kind of GERD or acid reflux? Well, not till last November. That's okay. when I, I coughed many years. Okay. So either with my asthma or the, the um, acid reflux. To this day, I really don't know when I really started with the acid reflux, but it's certainly much better now. Yeah, oh, great. Well, yeah. so you just got to a point where it was enough. Oh, you know, yeah. I had to do something yes. about this. The, the yes. coughing and asthma was just at a certain point. I was an embarrassment to my family when oh. I would be in public because I'd cough and cough and cough. Wow. And people would say, gosh, aren't you going to take care of her? But it was just me coughing. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, Gib, what about you? So tell us same a little bit. Thing. Cough, same thing. Cough, yeah. Cough. Then I had to wait. Medicare wouldn't pay the the surgery, and I waited about two years. Okay. Okay. So you knew that you wanted the surgery about two years. I think you went and looked and knew what I had, but mm -hmm. I lived on Rolaids and Tums. Wow. So uh, when was so when was your procedure, Adele? When did you have yours? In February of this past year, this year. Okay, so mm -hmm. very recent. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then, Gib, you had yours two years ago. Is that right? About, huh? mm -hmm. About two so. years. Okay, so you're two years post-op, and you guys both feeling good? Oh yeah. Okay. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's fantastic. That's what we like to hear. So, Dr. Uh, Janu, can you tell us a little bit about the options for treating GERD? And maybe talk to us a little bit about what your um, process is when you sure. first diagnose a patient and tell them what they need to do. Sure. There's a lot of people that have similar symptoms that'll come in. And, and initially, we kind of put people into an investigation phase where we do information gathering. And most of the time, it involves looking inside the stomach to get an idea of what the anatomy looks like and doing some actual testing to see if there's acid or content going the wrong direction, whether or not that involves uh, drinking some stuff that shows up on x-rays or sometimes we put uh, a tiny computer chip that will actually measure acid levels going the wrong direction. Ultimately once we gather up enough information and whatnot we can kind of define that if the content of the stomach is going the wrong direction related to the fact that the valve that connects the esophagus to stomach that should look like a little flap valve if that's not working correctly then there's options that we can do to potentially correct it to stop things from going the wrong direction. Okay, thank you. So one thing I know our, our Facebook users are very, um, they're actually well-educated about GERD and, and the different treatment options, especially because we've been having these TIFF talks. So one thing I wanted to ask is, did they have a hiatal hernia repair as well? Um, that's a, a So these, these were both situations where there wasn't a particularly big hiatal hernia. It was more just that the valve had gone weak, gotten a little bit floppier, looser. The best way I can describe it would be similar to when the when your windshield wipers in your car go bad. Yeah, they're still there, 
but if all they do is slap water around, they're not really doing what they're intended to do. And by reconstructing that valve from the inside with this procedure, we can reconstruct that so they work just as well as they did many years prior. Sure. So do you do um, hybrid procedures? The, the, do. The, yep. Do you want to maybe explain a little bit more what sure. uh, hiatal hernia is and what, what that kind of looks like just sure. for our audience? And, and, and ultimately, from a, from a surgical standpoint, there's a variety of different options. Thank you. Yeah. We were talking earlier before we started this that when we used to do this, it used to be done through a big incision in the belly or even a big incision in the chest. This is our retractor that we used to use in the operating room during these big surgeries to hold things back so that we could do these operations. Wow. Now it's just a nice little paperweight. Right? <laughs> but it's heavy, and, and it, but it serves to kind of show as a marker because you can see how far you've come if you look back and see where you've been. Sure. Most of the time, all these surgeries are done through small little incisions nowadays. But the natural progression has become to try to do things less invasive. The, the, the more that you can achieve through smaller incisions or even no incisions, like in this circumstance, sure. mm -hmm. and, and accomplish the same thing, the better, right? There's less risk, there's less cost, there's less time to recovery, um, and, and in general, you're trying to achieve what, what these people were trying to achieve. And so that's what we try to do when people come in. We match the problems that they're having from their issues with reflux to the most appropriate surgical solution to try to solve that. Perfect. And so I know there's a lot of different surgical options out there. Um, can you maybe talk, I mean, I know you kind of referred to um, previous, and you were referring to the Nissen procedure. Sure. Do you yep. maybe want to um, talk about the comparison of, of like that procedure, aside from it just being incisionless and whatnot? Sure. Um, kind of go into a little more detail about how the differences. So, so the idea behind the traditional fund application or the Nissen procedure, which was named after Rudolf Nissen, who was a surgeon in the 50s and 60s. Um, the idea was that you can loosen up portions of the stomach and wrap it around the end of your esophagus. So in some ways it acts like an air cuff or like a blood pressure cuff that as it fills up, it gets tighter and pinches things off and prevents things from going the wrong direction. The problem with that kind of surgery, apart from the fact that you're changing the shape of the stomach and wrapping it all the way around, it's a little bit bigger of a surgery for people to undergo but it has the potential for some side effects. One being trouble swallowing through it if it stays tight. If things try to go the wrong direction, it tends to pinch off and, and it doesn't allow you to vent your stomach or belch particularly well. And if you ever get the stomach flu, you get dry heaves and belly cramps. And sometimes people are just left from soreness um, yeah. from the surgery itself. And so the, the side effect profile in some ways negates the potential benefit that you gain from that surgery. The alternatives that people have tried to do is a partial fundoplication, which is effective for people as well to kind of reduce some of those things. There's a, a Lynx procedure, which is a bracelet of magnets mm -hmm. that serves as a pop-off valve that does the same thing. The benefit of doing the TIF or the, the fundoplication procedure through the inside is that what we're trying to do is reestablish that normal anatomical flap valve relationship without going all the way around, just going part way around so it allows for a give or flex so people don't run into the typical swallowing problems that come with the other alternatives. And at the same time, it, it's done uh, naturally through some incisions that are done while the stomach is inflated so there's never any pressure put on those sutures. And so the side effect profile of this is extremely low right. as people recover from it. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about your guys' experience. Um, first of all, um, it, you said, Adele, you had mentioned that your uh, 
physician referred you to Dr. Janu. Uh, at that point, did she tell you about the TIF procedure or did Dr. Janu tell you about the procedure? Dr. Janu told me about okay. it and he suggested that I possibly could have the problem and he looked into it further, which he then gave me the uh, bronchoscopy and okay. he discovered that I certainly needed it. I also had a, a barium swallow okay. and that's where they also discovered that I have the problem. Okay. And it was fairly easy to get get the procedure, no difficulties? Yes, at that time, you okay. know, Medicare approved it, yeah. so I had no problem at all. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And Gib, what about you? I know you said you well, waited two years. when I was years. laying in the operating table, I was laying there, and they gave me the anesthetic, and I thought, when are they going to start? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was waking up, and we're all done. Fantastic. So that's what you remember. Unbelievable. <laughs> so one of the big questions or um, peop what people talk about is the diet after the procedure. Um, first, why don't I let you, um, Dr. Jana, explain what, what the post-op kind of sure. um, protocol is in, in your standpoint, and then we'll kind of get their perspective on how it was for them. So in, in, in general, from a surgical standpoint, the TIF procedure usually takes about 25 or 30 minutes to do. It's done under a general anesthetic, so you're completely asleep for it. So like <laughs> you said, you, you start, you can try to count backwards from 100, you might make it to 99, and the next thing you know, you wake up in the recovery. Right. <laughs> While we do the procedure, the, the procedure is done typically with the same type of instruments or the scoping that we do for any type of endoscopies, but it's just adding a device that allows us to grab tissue and put stitches in. So it's basically a fancy sewing machine. And when people wake up from that, there's typically a little bit of soreness um, people have three things. There's a little bit of soreness from where the valve is reconstructed. There's some sore throat that can occur and sometimes people get a little bit of shoulder pain because of the air that's put in on the inside. It, it irritates the diaphragm and the nerve that goes to the diaphragm runs next to the nerve that goes to your shoulder and your brain says it's probably not my diaphragm and it makes you think that you hurt here. But it typically gets better after about three or four hours and most people are able to go home the same day. Because it's involved in an area that does move, we try to limit how much core pressure people try to put on that to allow it to heal. So it's typically anything that's light aerobic is fine, but anything like Pilates, crunches, weightlifting. Um, so people try to take it easy for about four weeks to okay. allow it to heal. Mm -hmm. There is some swelling that occurs, as you can imagine, because it is a surgery and there's some stitches that are put in that area. And so the, the connection between the esophagus and stomach ends up looking like an hourglass or a funnel. And so it does swell. It's like when people get their tonsils taken out to some extent. And so we try to put people on mushy foods that allow it to go down a little bit easier. Okay. It doesn't necessarily have to be liquids, but you have to chew your food real well, eat slowly, not eat too much at any given time, and that does typically pretty well. And that's usually for the first week or two. First week or two? Okay. So tell us, how was it, was it horrible? Was the diet bearable? Um, how long were you on the diet Well, I have to go back to what Dr. Jano had said about the, the air that can get into your body at my shoulder. It was more than three hours, doctor. <laughs> oh, well, there it is, the truth. Yeah, it was two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, it can linger. It, yes. it, it can linger sometimes. It it's just a little bit painful. of irritation in the diaphragm. Yeah. But I got over that, and the diet was okay. You just eat. You watch your diet. It was no problem at all. Eat slow. Eat mm -hmm. slow. Mm -hmm. Did you have to avoid any foods? Oh, Not really. Sure. No? Oh, oh you did? I didn't I have did. any of them systems. 
no no sh- shoulder pain nope. for you. Oh. Sounds like it just went perfectly for you. <laughs> I didn't have a sore throat or anything. Okay. Nothing. Nothing. I didn't right. magic. No sore no throat? sore throat or anything. Okay. It's just that the shoulder pain and arm pain, but I survived. I'd recommend it to anybody that's got it. That's fantastic. Well, I have a question. So before you guys um, had the TIF procedure, were there any foods you were not able to eat that you wish you could have? Oh, I ate just about everything. Everything, and then just take roll aids. Stayed away or... from the chili and things like that. Yeah, just trigger foods, foods that triggered the the flare-ups. And then now, can you have chili? And yep. yeah, I can eat anything. Now. You can eat anything. Mm-hmm. That's great. Smaller portions. Small. Oh yeah. That's true. I I don't eat as much as I used yeah. to. I, I try to glass. No. And I try to emphasize the people that do the best long term kind of learn this new normal mm-hmm. of right. chewing their food real well, mm-hmm. taking small bites, eating slowly and not, eat too, not eating too much at any given time. Sure. It's not necessarily designed for weight loss. If anything, it's more just designed to help you eat smarter. Right. Mm-hmm. That's good. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a, a question from some of our Facebook users. Lynn, go ahead. It's an excellent question. So the hiatal hernia basically means it's a a stretching out of the muscles of the diaphragm that allow the esophagus to pass through through the chest. Those muscles get stretched out and they can be a little bit widened. And if it's two centimeters or less, when you're doing the TIF procedure, by creating that fold, it's almost like rolling up your sleeve, it, it kind of fills in that gap. So typically we use about two centimeters as the limit for what we'd want to do just purely endoscopically. For people that do have a larger hiatal hernia, and depending on size and inflammation and different other factors and whatnot, sometimes people can have the hiatal hernia fixed, which means some incisions. And typically we go and blow the belly up with some air and we find where those muscles are stretched out and we put stitches in to make that a little bit more snug. The best analogy that I can give for people is that if you take your car in for its brakes to be done, Sometimes they can just fix the pads, which is kind of what the tip procedure is able to do. Other times they have to fix the pad and the rotors, which is two components of the same mechanism. It's still your brakes, but it's kind of two separate parts. So the hiatal hernia is more kind of the rotor part of it and whatnot that takes some incisions to fix. The TIF is basically reconstruction of the valve from the inside. But both components can be done at the same time. Fantastic. Okay. Do we have another question, Lynn? Or- That is a fantastic wow. question. <laughs> and uh, it, it's a little bit dependent on the state of the hiatal hernia or not. There are some people that we've, we've used this technology on that have had a Nissen where over time it's slowly started to kind of get a little bit weaker or not as tight or, or come undone. And in those circumstances, going down through the mouth, you can tuck that back in and get the same effect that you had when the initial surgery was done. If the hiatal hernia has come back and it's migrated and there's different technical points to it and whatnot, sometimes it just has to be redone. But it's certainly dependent on what it looks like from the inside. Okay, thank you for answering that. Appreciate that. So um, I I think one of the big questions, and I think you answered it, um, was insurance. Does insurance cover the TIF procedure? And so Medicare covers the TIF procedure, um, and then most insurances cover it across the the, nation, if you will, so just dependent on your personal insurance coverage. So do you have any additional? 
You know, it, it, the, the nice thing about this is that it's an elective procedure. You can choose to have it done. So ideally, we have all the I's dotted and T's crossed before any type of surgical procedure is done. Sure. And so it allows us to make sure that the pre-certification and the insurance component is in place before anything is done. Perfect. Fantastic. Uh, so let's, um, one question that we get a lot on um, Facebook is the long-term effects of using PPIs. Now, I know Gib had mentioned that he was using Rolaids. Now, Adele, were you taking any Prilosec? that helped me. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Um, and it, was it only when you were having flare-ups or did you take it every day? Well, most every day, yes, yeah. I did. Okay, mm -hmm. for some time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Gib, for you, you also were eating Rolaids and Tums. Rolaids and Tums. Okay. You weren't taking any PPIs or like Prilosec or Zantac or anything nope. like that? Okay. Um, do you normally prescribe that first before they have the TIF procedure? Or what, do you, what is your protocol? Uh, typically, yes, Actually. for a couple reasons. One is that for patients that are taking those medications and they do better, they might not do perfect, but if they do better, it is a prognostic sign that they'll do well with surgical intervention. Okay. It's a little bit harder for patients that take a pill and it does nothing for them. It could still be the issue with the content going the wrong direction that's not related to the acid component of it. Uh, but at the same time, most people do a little bit better. Okay. Now, the problem with the medications is that in today's society, it's a supersized society. If one doesn't work, take two. If two doesn't work, take four. And so people are kind of gradually adding medications that still aren't necessarily fixing the problem. Right. They're more or less co covering it up. And as people start getting more and more higher doses, then you potentially run into side effects or consequences such as increased risk for broken bones, mm. problems with mm -hmm. kidneys. There are some suggestions that it potentially has some heart issues or dementia issues and whatnot. It can potentially affect how your body fights off infection. So there are some side effects. And as time goes on, there are some growing evidence that those side effects aren't just necessarily conjecture, it's more real. And so right. the, the biggest thing is that if those medications are working for people, great. But if people are still having problems despite the medications, then it's probably worth considering fixing the problem rather than just trying rather to cover it up. Just covering it up, right. So um, the, there's, I've heard a lot of stories. We've, we've had quite a few TIFF talks and a lot of, uh, not particularly these guys here, but um, a lot of patients say that they've been taking PPIs for 20 years, 10 mm -hmm. years. And then it, you, it begs to ask the question, well, when do you get to that point where you say, okay, enough is enough, right? Do you Definitely. see a lot of patients like that, Dr. Janet? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think it's hard because everybody's symptoms are a little bit different. They're sure. all similar but different. Um, and it's hard to kind of pinpoint that decision tree for this. Right. Because it's, right. nobody can really define it as well and whatnot. And so the decision tree that I tell people is that it's very similar to if your knee bothers you. And if you take medications every day for your knee, sure. and it works, great. But if you do something that you, didn't, you weren't supposed to, or you miss a dose of your medication, your knee is worse, and at some point your knee bothers you enough that you think, I should do something about it. Right. And whether or not you have arthroscopy or an injection or a replacement, they all have their pros and cons and different recoveries, and ultimately you want your knee to feel better. Right. Is it possible you might still need some pills here or there? Yes. Is it possible that it might not last forever? Depends on how much you beat on your knee. Right. And so the same decision is based on this. If the valve has gone bad and you're having the content go in the wrong direction, at some point it bugs you enough to say, sure. I should do something about mm -hmm. it. Right? Sure, sure. Are there, um, 
long or long-term issues if they don't resolve or they don't do something about their GERD? It's a great question, um, and yes, the answer is yes. This is a progression of disease, and it goes along with any type of chronic irritation. The longer the things are irritating things, it could progress to develop ulcers. Sometimes people develop strictures where it's narrowed and difficult to swallow. It can progress to issues that increase your risk for developing cancer. So, um, yes, certainly trying to address it before it gets to those points is better than leaving it go. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, do we have another question then? Thank you. Is the TIP procedure indicated for LPR? That's exactly uh, what uh, these people are experiencing. So LPR or laryngopharyngeal reflux, people say LPR because it's hard to say that over and over <laughs> again. But basically that just means that the symptoms that you're experiencing are primarily up here in the right. throat, uh, coughing, hoarseness, um, perhaps even trouble swallowing or a feeling of fullness, which is called globus. The typical symptoms that people experience are heartburn, regurgitation, maybe chest pain. But the LPR symptoms are these kind of content going the wrong direction manifestations. And those are the symptoms that typically medications really won't help as much with. You can take the acid component of it out. Right. And a lot of times people will say, yeah, my heartburn's better, but I still have a cough. Well, you can't sleep either. Oh, right. can't sleep. Okay. Yeah. 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 No difficulty sleeping. So it's a, a, absolutely chair. indicated for LPR. Yeah. The little I slept. So you slept on your lounge chair? Still um, do. You still do? Even after the TIF? Yep. Yeah? You can't get used to the bed now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, so so did you have trouble sleeping as well? No, I, I didn't. Don't. No, that I, was one I, thing yeah, you didn't. I, Okay. I had no problem. Okay. Well, let's, ha so how are you guys feeling now? I know you're two years out from your procedure, right, Kim? And then Adele, you, what, are a month or two? Well, we since know. February. Since so. February, so yeah. about two months out, two, three months out. So how are, how are you feeling now? Um, good. Do you very feel good. very good? Um, are there things that you can do now that you couldn't do before? I mean, I know you're still sleeping in well, your lounge chair. I don't chair. do too much anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> But you can go but to church. But you feel good. Yeah. 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 Were you having, was it so hard? Was it bothering you so much you couldn't go to church or go oh, do things that cough, you. Cough, cough, cough. Constantly. Yeah. Even at night. Really? Well, I haven't heard you cough once at all, even just sitting here for the last 30 minutes. So, would it have been that bad where you were just. Oh, I sitting? couldn't have done this. Really? Oh, sure. Oh, wow. Same with me. I'd go to church, and my family knew I was in church because they knew my cough. Oh, gosh. And I'd go in public, and people would you know, say, gosh, she's coughing all the time. And, yeah, that's her. <laughs> oh, wow. So, And then now it's since oh, you've I, had the TIF procedure. The only cough I have now is my asthmatic cough. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Has it's it just, helped your asthma? I mean, I don't know. Does that help your? No. No. It, it hasn't help. helped that. But, but, but definitely yes, the coughing. Yes. Unfortunately, it doesn't turn back time. Yeah, and yeah. it doesn't fix a number of other things like heart disease or gout or diabetes, but it does help. Help, right? Oh yeah. So you're feeling much better now. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And is there anything you'd like to let the uh, our Facebook users know um, about the TIF procedure, or well, would you I recommend, recommend it? it for anybody? Yeah. If you've got them symptoms. Fantastic. How about you, Adele? I anything? would too. Yes. You would recommend Talk it. Talk to your surgeon and get it tested and make sure that that's what you have and have it done. Fantastic. Did we have, we have a couple more questions before we end. Go ahead. We have a question. Um, can you have TIF with Barrett's esophagus or do I have to wait 
It's an excellent question. So Barrett's esophagus is an adaptation or uh, a change in the lining of your esophagus when the content is going the wrong direction. The stomach is designed to hold the acid, the esophagus isn't, and so when things are going the wrong direction, the esophagus tries to change to become more like the stomach. And when one cell is changing to another cell, it potentially predisposes to turn into Barrett's or turn into cancer. Depending on the degree of Barrett's, um, there is some controversy as to whether or not that should be treated first and then have some type of anti-reflux procedure versus trying to do an anti-reflux procedure and then treating the Barrett's. Sure. What some people run into is that if you try to prevent or like treat the Barrett's because the content is going the wrong direction, if you treat it and the content is still going the wrong direction, the Barrett's comes right back. So some people argue fixing that component um, is the more appropriate first step and then you treat the Barrett's afterwards. There's no great data to suggest it's beneficial or another. There's just not been enough studies on Barrett's esophagus with this procedure. We've had some experience with some patients, but it's more anecdotal than anything else. And so if there's a small little bit and you can fix the reflux, the Barrett's can improve and get better. If it's larger, then a lot of times another alternative might be a better step, but it's individual. Okay, thank you for answering that. Did we have any other questions, Lynn? Yeah, two more. Okay. So any medication that you take um, has its potential benefit and downside risk. If the medication is working, then you just assume that that risk exists, but at least you're gaining the benefit. If the medicines aren't working for you, then it's probably best to look for an alternative that actually potentially fixes the problem. PPIs, the way that they work is by taking the acid away. Certain things like calcium need to be absorbed properly with a little hint of acid, and so if you eliminate all the acid, the calcium doesn't get absorbed properly, and it potentially puts your bones at risk of being brittle and having fractures. If you eat some bacteria, the acid would kill that, and so if the acid's not there, bacteria that gets in your system can throw off the natural balance of the bacteria that's normally supposed to be in there. And those medications are filtered by your kidneys, and they potentially affect your kidneys long-term. These are not effects that are gonna to happen tomorrow or in a month or in a year, but they could potentially affect you three, five, 10 years down the road. Sure. And when people have been taking medications for 10, 15, 20 years, well then you start reaping some of these potential risks and side effects and whatnot. Everybody's a little bit different. Ultimately, I tell people you, know, you have to decide how much it bugs you. Right. And whether it's because you miss a dose of medications and your symptoms flare up, or sometimes the, the medications just don't agree with you as well. There's this downside risk. If it's helping, great. If it's not, then you should probably look at all our other alternatives. Okay, thank you. Do we have one, one last question? One last question. How do I find a doctor in my area who does this procedure to treat GERD? That's a great question. You could probably I can answer that, answer that question. <laughs> um, you can visit GERDhelp.com, and I also recommend um, to do your research. So. Uh, we have a lot of good information on GERDhelp.com, and then you can also find a physician in your area um, on the Physician Finder on GERDhelp. But if you're in the uh, area here, the Chilton and Appleton Northeast area. Northeast Wisconsin. And yeah. where else? Northeast? Or well, the just Northeast. in general, our little capture area is this northeastern Wisconsin portion Perfect. of the state. Yeah. You can come see Dr. Peter Janu. We'd be happy to see you. Fantastic. Well, I can't thank you all enough for being here this afternoon or evening, if you will. Um, the sun's coming down on my face now. I'm like, it's 
time, it's evening time. Um, so thank you again, Dr. Janu. Uh, we appreciate your time and also Adele and Gib. Um, I know that the Facebook users that watch um, appreciate learning more about um, GERD and the TIF procedures. So again, thank you for joining us. Um, and if you have any questions or um, want more information, visit GERDhelp.com. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERDhelp mobile app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD Help. Live well, GERD free.